grab a clicker real quick. First off, for all of those who are visiting with us, I just want to say this is not what our stage normally looks like. Uh, we are preparing for our VBS that starts tonight and goes through Wednesday night, and so we are doing the story of Abraham, and that's why it looks like I'm trying to preach from Canaan this morning. I want to take a moment and just thank all the kind words that were sent my way and Bailey's way for her grandma. And that's all. I'll leave it at that for right now. Second Peter, please. Second Peter. And we'll start in verse 15. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing but was rebuked for his own transgression, a speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. This morning, what I want to talk to us about is the story of Balaam. Now, Balaam, who was a prophet in the Old Testament, gives us a, an example of a character that we can either learn from his mistakes and avoid them, or we can fall down the same path that he falls down. So this morning, we're going to talk about how we are how we can be Balaam or being Balaam. Balaam is quite the interesting character in the Old Testament. He is a prophet in Numbers 22 is, is where we first see him. He's a prophet, but he's not an Israelite. So that automatically shows us something very interesting about his character. He's not one of God's chosen people. Yet God chose him to bring his word. Because of his gift of prophecy, Balak, the king of the Moabs, the Moabites, calls for him so that he can curse the Israelites because the Israelites were encamping against Moab and their size was great. And so he sends for Balaam to do his dirty work and curse the Israelites. And Balaam, understanding who he was and understanding that he's a prophet, decides to go to Balak. And we'll talk more about his story and about how it gets to that point. But Balaam, according to Peter in this passage, shows a love for gain from wrongdoing. He longs for things to improve his life, and he doesn't really care about what happens in order to get them. He desires, and he lives by that desire. And it's mentioned again in Jude, in Jude 11, if you'll look with me there. Jude 11, woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. There's something about Balaam's desire that just sets him apart, something that is so different from other desires. You see, Balaam's desire in 2 Peter is described as, as a donkey had to stop his madness. And in Jude 11, we see that people, the Israelites abandoned themselves for gain. They let themselves go just like Balaam did. Balaam's desire sets him apart from the other characters in the Bible because it's a crazed desire. Have you ever tried to reason with someone who is so set on getting something their own way that it just seemed crazy. They weren't going to listen to anything you said. Anything you did say and thought they were listening at just kind of went through one ear and out the other. They always tried to argue with you and bring up a defense that just didn't seem to connect all the dots or properly defend what they were doing. Balaam is that person. 
He's that person who's so driven by desire that a talking donkey doesn't even stop him to get where he's going. And that's what I want to look at this morning is his desire. And so we'll start in the book of Numbers, if you'll flip over there with me. Because in the book of Numbers, we are given Balaam's life. And in Numbers 22, we start with one of the first scenes of Balaam's, uh, that we read about Balaam's life. At the beginning of Numbers 22, we see Balak, the king of the Moabites, has the Israelites come upon him. This massive army is there, and he's afraid. And he turns to Balaam, because Balaam has prophet, the ability to prophesy. And he calls Balaam to him. And we'll pick up in verse 7, if you'll follow with me there. 22-7. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand. And they came to Balaam and gave him Balak's message. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. And God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go to your own land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Once again, Balak sent princes, more in number and more honorable than these. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you great honor, and whatever you say to me, I will do. Come curse this people for me. But Balaam answered, Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and of gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. So you too, please stay here tonight that I may know, that, know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to, you, come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. Balak first sends a, a missionary group of people, princes with great wealth, to try and sway Balaam to come curse Israel for him. And Balaam sees this, and they offer great, vast amounts of wealth, and he tells them to wait so we can go ask God what God would like him to do. And God, he consults with God, and he gets his answer. Yet it's not an answer that I think Balaam likes, because God says no. God tells him, you cannot go with Balak. You cannot go curse those people, because those people are blessed. And so Balaam tells the messengers, and he, and he sends them back to Balak, and Balak hears this and says, well, that's not good enough. I really need Balaam. So he sends more princes, higher, more honorable princes. And with more honor comes more wealth. And they go visit Balak, or Balaam. And here's where I think something fascinating happens. Balaam already knows what God told him. Balaam already knows God said no. And yet he asked them to stay again so that he can maybe consult with God again and see if the answer changes. Balaam desires the wealth they offer. It mentions, excuse me, it mentions the house full of silver and gold that he would have. The wealth that he would have if he went with them. And that's in verse 18, where it says, But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, 
Sorry. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. He wanted that wealth. And so he went and asked God again, What should I do? Knowing full well that before God had told him no. Balaam goes to God the second time, and, and God must have surprisingly to Balaam said, You know what? You go. Go with these people. Go to Balak. But just be, when you go, just only do what I tell you to do. He's determined to get that favorable response from God for his mission. And when he does, he saddles up his donkey and he heads out with the men from Moab. His desire is a key to that determination. He desires that well so much that he's so determined to find a way to get to do it, to get to receive it, even though he's already been told no by God. After receiving this favorable response, we see Balaam is on the road to Balak. And this is where we get probably one of my favorite stories in the entire Bible. Because it involves a talking donkey and it involves Balaam's stubbornness. We'll start in chapter 22, starting in verse 22. But God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. And in the way, of, in the way as his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey, and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a fool of me, because you have made a fool of me, I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed down and fell on his face. Along this journey, we see that Balaam has kind of a small entourage with him. He's got his two servants. I would assume that the princes are with him too on their way back to Balaam. And he's riding on his donkey, and his donkey pulls off the road. It's, it seems like he can't control his own donkey. And so he hits his donkey, and the donkey gets back on the road. And again, the donkey tries to pull off the road, and it scrapes Balaam's foot against a wall. And so Balaam hits his donkey again, angrily, and it goes back on the road. And finally, the donkey just lies down underneath Balaam. Because the donkey can see something that Balaam could never see at least until God opened his eyes to see it. The, the donkey saw an angel of the Lord who was ready to stop Balaam, to, to strike Balaam down from going to Balak. But Balaam, being filled with his desire and wanting that prize at the end, angrily strikes his donkey multiple times and angrily cries out at the end of this when the donkey lies down that if I had a sword, I would strike you down even though this was his donkey that he had for his entire life, that, it, that served him well, as we can see from her response to him. But we can also see that because of his desire, this talking, talking donkey 
was nothing to him, really. His anger and his desire covered up the fact that this donkey was talking to him. And it was only after God opened his eyes that he could see what was in his way, that he could see that he was, in fact, disobeying God. And what, we'll see down, and what we see down and past this story after God opens his eyes is that Balaam is sorrowful. He sees now what God was trying to do, what his donkey was trying to do, and he asks God, he tells God that if he wants him to, Balaam will return home. He'll go back to where he came from. But God decides to let him go. And God says, you go, you go on to Balak, but you can only say what I can tell you to say. And so Balaam goes to meet Balak. They go to Bamoth Baal for the beginning of the four oracles that he will give. And as they're on top of the mountain, Balaam requires Balak to create seven altars. And so while they're sacrificing, he goes up to God, or he goes up to the top of the mountain to talk to God. And God gives him what he's supposed to say to the Israelites, to prophesy about them. And Balaam returns down, and he's getting prepared to offer what he's about to say. And you can expect Balak is sitting there with with wonder and amazement that his pe these people that were encamping against him were going to be cursed. It is going to be easy to attack them. And when Balaam opens his mouth, blessings flow out. He blesses the size of the Israelite. Even though he cannot see the, amount of, the full amount of the Israelite army, he blesses them for their innumerous amount of people. Their innumerous amount of warriors and the blessings that God is with them and that God gives them strength. And because of this blessing, because of this moment, Balak gets angry and he's upset with Balaam. And we see a crutch from Balaam appear. A crutch that he will use to defend each one of his oracles. Well, I'm only saying what God is letting me say. I'm only talking what, what God is letting me say. Balak, don't, don't get me wrong. I want to curse these people, but... I'm only doing what God will let me. He's leaning on this crutch to defend himself because he wants Balak to understand, I'm still trying to help you. I'm still trying to get that reward. Balak proceeds to move Balaam to three other locations, and each time blessings flow out of his mouth instead of curses. And at each time, Balak tells Balaam how angry he is with him, and at the last time, he tells Balak to go home. And he denies him that reward. But Balak, or Balaam responds with that, well, I'm only doing what God wants me to do. And he keeps leaning on that because he still desires that reward that Balak is offering. He still desires the wealth and the honor that could be his. In chapter 24, we see a that same response. In chapter 24, verse, verse, starting in verse 10, this is after the third oracle when Balaam is about to be told to go home. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have blessed them these three times. Therefore, now flee to your own place. I said I will certainly honor you, but the Lord has held you back from honor. And Balaam said to Balak, did I not tell your messengers, whom you sent to me, if Balak should give me his house full of silver and gold, I would not be able to go beyond the word of the Lord to do either good or bad of my own will. What the Lord speaks, that will I speak. And now behold, I am going to my people. Come, I will let you know what this people will do to your people in the latter days. 
Balaam clarifies for Balak, well, I told your messengers that no matter what, I could only do what God would tell me to do. I still came for this, this wealth, and I desired that wealth, but I still can't go farther than what God would let me go. He's trying to separate him from himself. He desires that wealth. He desires that honor. And he has a crutch that he can keep on using. And I say he has this crutch because in Numbers 31, we see that something comes out of Balaam's actions. Numbers 31, and we'll be in verse 15. Moses said to them, Have you let all of the women live? Behold, these, on Balaam's advice, caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor, so that plague came among the congregation of the Lord. Do you see what Balaam did here? What Balaam suggested to Balak to get the Moabite women to do for the Israelites? What we can see in, in this story is from this, or what we know from the story in chapter 31, he suggested to Balak to send the women of Moab to entice the Israelites because he knew he could not curse the Israelites, but he knew they could separate themselves from God. He knew you could put a stumbling block in front of them and cause them to go away from God on their own accord and cause God to punish them for their actions and not for his. His desire has him find a way around what God expects of him. His desire finds a loophole, so to say. And it finds a way to bring the Israelites down in their, in their journey. Balaam's desire is the crux of his problems. It's at, the, it's at the center of everything he does. We can see that in the New Testament when Peter so boldly states that. And when we closely examine the Old Testament story of Balaam, we can see that come to... We can see that in, in action. We become Balaam's when we are driven by desire. And that's all I want to talk about today, is that, that idea of being driven by desire. It's still an issue with us all today, at least. I know in my life, I still struggle with this. I've been driven by my desire in, in all stages of my life. In high school, my parents couldn't tell me anything. What I wanted... I wanted to go do. I wanted to go hang out with my friends late at Saturday, on Saturday nights. I wanted to go out and party with them and spend time with them and not really care what happened. My desire for pleasure or popularity clouded everything around me. That was the only thing in my viewpoint and the only thing I wanted. And it had a very interesting effect on me, much like Balaam. If you asked my parents, they would tell you I was probably a madman. They would tell you I acted crazily because I wasn't going to listen to them. They would tell me different things about what I was doing or what I wanted to do and try and put barriers up. And they would, they would do these things, and my defenses would always be very simple but very weak. I'm just spending time with them because I can be a light in their circles. I can be that example for them where they most need it, Mom. One of my favorites, and probably one that I know I laugh at, and many of you probably will, Mom, I'm 17, I know everything about the world, and I can do this. And she would, she would chuckle, and we chuckle about it now. But she would sit there and, and say, well, no, you don't. But nothing she would say would really get at me, because my desire clouded it. My desire made me into a person that would have never existed had I been more listening and not driven by what I wanted. 
And while I have been like Balaam, I, I know many other people have as well. This sometimes appears as, as someone who wants to do good. There's a desire to do good. But it gets twisted along the way. They want to fix the problem, but in that desire to fix the problem, their focus is on one point, one side that seems good to them. And they listen to that one side, and anybody else's side or, or understanding of a situation is thrown, thrown away. Because their one viewpoint is the one that matters. That's the good point. That's the one they want to stay on. They won't listen to any other arguments. They'll push, you, push people away and, and get angry when you try to point out something different. And their desire to do good is twisted into something different. Sometimes this appears as people who are driven by a desire of greed. Greed that causes them to gamble away their savings and puts their family in a hole. But they don't see a problem because all they see is that big flashing jackpot sign. All they see is that opportunity or promise of a big payoff later on. This is greed that causes people to push out their family and friends because they're trying to get that promotion. They just spend one more hour at work instead of going to spend time with their family. All that matters is that next paycheck getting bigger and bigger. This desire for more wealth pushes them to do whatever it takes, and it doesn't matter who's in their way. Sometimes this appears as a desire for sexual gratification. They have a desire for such anything sexual that they look for any op option or any way to be gratified. Whether this is pornography or adultery, they, they find a way to fulfill their lusts. And this destroys their lives. It tears them apart from their family. It breaks down their relationships. Because they're only focused on that short-term fix. They're only focused on what desire can get to them now. Desire drives people to madness. And with each of these examples, we can see different points, or we can all think of our, think of our own lives where we have seen this, and think of things that people have said, the same defenses that they have said. This is what I want, and nothing's going to stop me from getting it. And I'm going to find a way to verify my actions in your eyes. Desire drives people to be without reason, to be without any sense of what's right or what's wrong. It clouds their judgment. Desire drives them to become like Balaam. But Balaam isn't the only example of desire. Turn with me to Judges chapter 2. In Judges chapter 2, we're given an entire book about people who are driven by desire. Judges chapter 2, we're being told of Israel who, after being rescued from Egypt, how they fall away from God. And we'll start in verse 11. Chapter 2 and verse 11. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them. And bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. Israel desired to be like the people around them. God had told them to drive out everybody in the land of this promised land, and they didn't. And then because of this, we can see how that creeps in. We can see that desire to be like them, to worship their gods 
sets them away from God. It takes them away from being God's people or, or from being what God expected of his people. And we see that every time they fell away, God would send something to punish them so that they would turn back. But all throughout this book, we read of desire controlling their lives. Not only desire to worship other people's gods, but desire to have whatever they want. And nothing stops them. In the latter stages of this book, we read about how desire destroys the whole entire tribe of Benjamin. And how the rest of Israel is left trying to fix the problem. We read about how the Benjamites desired a sexual gratification, and because of this, They pushed and prodded with a visitor of their own town until he gave them his concubine and they killed her. And how he sent sent out to the other tribes of Israel all for vengeance, a desire to get back at Benjamin. And it all talks about, at the end of the book, desire that destroys people and a tribe. Desire drives the Israelites to madness. And it does the same thing with us today. Turn with me to James chapter 4, and I want to show you what I mean. In James chapter 4, we see James writing to a Jewish audience, discussing the problems that come with desire. Chapter 4, starting in verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Desire creates the problem among these people. A desire of greed, something where they covet what others have and what they don't have. A desire for something else that causes murder. Their desire is is creating these problems, these fights between them. And it's the desires from within, the desires for what they can see, what their heart looks after, what they lust after. Our desire, as James writes, is a result of a response or a lack thereof from God or towards God. We don't ask God for what we desire. Or when we do ask, we ask wrongly because our focus is on ourself. Our focus in our desire is solely on ourselves. When we're driven by desire, we're driven by a selfishness and a personal gain instead of a drive to do good, to help out. If I'm not willing to listen to reason or listen to God, then I have to know I'm wrong. If my desire is pushing me to madness, then I have to know that I'm wrong. So how do I stop being a Balaam? How do I go against letting my desire rule who I am? Well, in James, we're given an answer. Down in verse 6 of the same chapter, we read, But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Instead of being driven by a desire of selfishness, our focus has to be something different. It has to be a focus on God instead. Because when I focus on God, it means I draw near to him. When I focus on God, 
It means I humble myself. When I focus on God, I submit to His will. When I focus on God, I say no to my desires. And if I'm willing to change my focus from myself to God, then I'm going to listen when someone tells me I'm doing something wrong. I'm going to listen to reason when otherwise it seems I wouldn't. If I'm going to focus on God, it means I am going to feel free from the burden of having to defend everything I do because somewhere, some, da- some way, I know it's wrong. Changing our focus from self to God is, is a hard issue. It requires me to understand where my motivation is coming from. And it means I'm willing to admit that I'm wrong about something or that what I'm doing is wrong. In order to stop being Balaam, we have to have that selfless heart, that heart that focuses on God. Because when we do that, we're able to see the blessings that God gives us in our life. We're able to see that God gives us what we should be desiring. Balaam's problem is simple. He's just driven by desire. But his desire is so strong that it makes him look like a mad person. It makes him crazy. And in the end, in Numbers 31, we read of Balaam being killed along with the other Moabites because of what he did for Israel, because of that stumbling block he placed in front of Israel. We're driven by desire. We become Balaam's when we focus for on ourselves rather than God. However, when we focus on God and say no to ourselves, we aren't Balaam. And we're pleasing to God. So I want us to focus our lives on being less like Balaam and more on pleasing God. Thank you for your attention this morning. We'll be dismissed for our classes.